Greetings and welcome to the worship services of Alamo First Baptist Church. I'm Brother Chris Rigby. I'm standing here this morning in front of our bell. This is the original bell that was at our old location uh, years ago. It uh, was there when the church was first built and it was always a call to worship. Well, when we moved to our new campus here several years ago, we brought it with us. And not too long ago, we got to put it up. We're so excited about it because it reminds us that we're coming together into this building to worship. And we are excited that today you've decided to tune in to our broadcast to worship our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Our prayer this morning is that you will see the great love that Jesus has for you and the great love that we have for you as well this morning as we worship together. We look forward to meeting you and your family and we invite you to be a part of any of our worship services, our activities or ministries here. And if you'd like to get in touch with us, probably the best way to do that is just drop us a line at our email address, alamofirstbaptist at gmail.com. All of it spelled out, just gmail.com, alamofirstbaptist. We look forward this morning to worshiping with you. We pray God's blessings upon you and your family as we go inside now and we worship together. Let's go ring that bell for Jesus.
Saturday, 
before he stood at 1230. They, they need help with Easter eggs and candy to be donated so we could uh, bring candy and eggs and help out some folks that stuff those. So if you want to stuff them yourself, you're more than welcome to do that. Just be uh, mindful that uh, you're going to do it outside and chop that line melt. So you might want to try to get some uh, candy that doesn't, uh, doesn't melt so much. You know, you, you can bring Brian and I chocolate with you guys today. So we'll do a whole lot of chocolate for you. Uh, any other announcements? Did we, did we do anything? Youth Christmas Center is next week. So. <laughs> Brian needs to know what, what you guys want for your Christmas dinner by this week. All right. Uh, Merry Christmas, guys. Anyway. Oh, I tell you one other thing that's coming up. We've got uh, graduates coming up. Hold on. We need to get, what, five, six pictures into the video. All right. And then you know, talk about where you want to eat and stuff like that. All right. Well, let's have a word of prayer and let's continue worshiping together. Heavenly Father. We thank you for today, for this time together. We thank you for uh, the beautiful spring weather we've been enjoying. And Father, we look forward to Easter as it's coming. And last year, we were so disjointed and interrupted. We didn't get to see Easter and celebrate your resurrection. This year, we just know there's going to be a big day of celebration and worship as we get to come together in your presence, in your house, and in your people. Lord, we continue to pray for the needs of COVID just continue to go around our world. And Lord, we're thankful that the vaccines have been getting out and the numbers are going down and things are getting back to normal. And Lord, even though a lot of things have improved, but there's still a long way to go, we want to be faithful to continue to lift up those concerns to you to put our faith in you. We pray for John's family today and the loss of their loved ones as well. We just continue to pray for their needs to be met. Use us in any way that we can to help you. Just give them your love through word and just through that Christmas story. All these things we mentioned this morning, let us be to your glory and honor. We pray for the offering that comes in through the week, Lord, that it be used for the kingdom of God. And Lord, just be with us this morning. Guide our thoughts and our praise and our worship to you. In your mighty name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 It's good to see you here. Once you stay with us, we can continue to worship together.
you can see. Y'all sound good this morning. Little guys can make their way to children's church, and as they do that this morning, please take your Bible and open to uh, John chapter 12. John chapter 12. We have been in this text for a couple of weeks, and we'll be in there uh, in the same text for a few more weeks, uh, all the way through Easter. There's an old story that's told of how a Roman cathedral, the uh, Chartreuse, the, the Roman cathedral Chartreuse, was struck by lightning and burned to the ground. And without any hint of planning, though, thousands of people came from all points of the compass like a giant procession of ants. And they began to work together. They began to rebuild the old site. There were master builders, there were artists, laborers, clowns, noblemen, priests, and just regular citizens. That's the way the story is told. And the story goes on to say that everyone pretty much remained anonymous, and to this day, they really don't know who was behind the rebuilding of that great cathedral of Chartreuse. But I want to say to you, there can be absolutely no doubt behind our salvation, what the Bible calls so great a salvation. What we were singing just this morning in that last free hymn, How Great Is Our God. Christ Jesus has given us a great salvation. What we wanted to do was think about Easter as it's approaching and that great salvation that Jesus gave us by way of his death and suffering upon the cross. And, you know, a couple of weeks ago we were here in chapter 12 and we were, we were looking at that verse and we were finishing up the series that we were in on Satan. And uh, Jesus says there in uh, chapter uh, Verse 31, that the judgment of the world is uh, now come and the ruler of this world to be cast out. That was what kind of brought us into that, that chapter a couple of weeks ago. But as I was just reading through it and looking through it, there were some things about this particular chapter. In particular, there were some phrases and there were some words that kind of like palette the great word of praise that grips over my heart and said, don't leave here, Chris. Let's, let's exhaust this entire chapter because it really is a chapter that helps us prepare and think about Easter as it's set here in that action week. And there's so much here that I will say that the messages, both this Sunday and, and last Sunday and, and all the way through Easter, are what I would call text-driven messages. This is a text-driven series. Last week we looked at the phrase where Jesus said, now my soul is troubled. And we thought about that phrase uh, a little bit last week. And to think about the God of peace, the one who has never known no peace, the one who is the great peace giver, said about his soul, about his own life, about his inward emotions, that he was troubled. He said it was 
probably a better understood word that was used in the word trauma. He was feeling traumatized on the inside as he thought about the cross and, and what it meant and what was going to happen in the things to come. And uh, so we looked at that. Well, there's another phrase this morning I wanted to look at, and it, it's another one that jumped out at us. And it is this phrase, my uh, hour has come, or I've come to this hour. And we're going to read the verses 28, uh, 27 and 28 of John 12. We're going to read more from this chapter in a little bit. That's our sequence. And, and we're kind of tying all of these and thoughts that are jumping off the page at us around this line of thinking, the strange glory of the cross and the strange glory of because Jesus is talking about the glory that is going to give to the Father and the glory that the Father is going to give to Him. And there is a certain sense of glory that we, even today, still celebrate when we think about the cross and when we think about the resurrection. But yet, when we back away from it and look at it, it really is a strange glory. It's not like what we would think the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords would, would actually have to suffer and endure in coming to this world just to eat. We would think that uh, he would be received as a king, that he would be honored and praised, but that's not the case as we go through the passion story, as we go through what happened with Jesus. Also look at verse 27 and uh, verse 28. These are our, our, our key focus passages of, of today. Jesus said, Now is my soul troubled. We looked at that last week. And what shall I say? He, he asked the question. And it's, it's, it's a question that's being lifted up as a prayer. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for the word, hour. So where does he, from this moment, from this, this time that is coming up that I'm going? And then he says, for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Again, Jesus speaks about that time, that moment, that purpose. And then, of course, Jesus says, Father, glorify your name. Another voice came from heaven. And he said, this is one of three occasions where God the Father speaks from heaven. One is in baptism, one transfiguration, and then one here in this prayer, Jesus' prayer. And the Father says, I'll glorify this, and I will glorify it again. Again, that's one of those phrases that jumps out at you. The Father speaks from heaven. Um, that certainly uh, underlines that this is an important moment and an important event of what's going on. If you were to read through the book of John, and I hope you have in your, in your picture studies at some point, it, matter of fact, the Gospel of John is the one book that I encourage new Christians to read through. And, and also, if someone says they're not a Christian or they want to know about Christ, they want to know about Jesus, and they're not quite ready to make that step of faith yet, John is the Gospel that I often say, well, read through 
the gospel of God. It is the the the, the evangelistic evangelistic gospel, certainly. But it's also the gospel account that makes Jesus so real in terms of his love for us. It's, it's, you just see God's love all throughout this book. But one thing that you would hear if you were to read through it over and over again is the discussion of my hour. Over and over, Jesus says, my hour, my hour. John Phillips, who you know I like so much, his commentary, he puts it this way. He says, the hour had come much closer to the hour he was born. It had come much closer still to the hour that he was baptized and identified with the race in which he had come to the deed. It had come much closer when he had descended from the mountain after meeting Moses and Elijah because of his decrease. It had come much closer when he had performed those miracles in Jerusalem on the Sabbath, challenging uh, the principles and the customs of the rabbis. It had come much closer when he had declared himself to be God. It had come even closer when he had risen into Jerusalem in that triumphal entry, proclaiming himself to be the Messiah in spite of the opposition from the Sanhedrin. And it had come closer even still, now that he refused to pray that his Father in heaven would keep him from that hour. All throughout the Gospel of John, all throughout Scripture in the New Testament, you see Jesus talking about how the disciples referred back to the hour of Jesus. Early on, you hear Jesus say, well, my hour has not yet come. My hour has not yet arrived. Even on that, I guess, one of the first occasions, he was kind of chasing his mother at the wedding, the king of Galilee, and he, you know, she was asking him about the, the issue that's going on with the, the wife having run out, and he looked at her in, in kind of a puzzling way, said, you know, my hour has not yet come. What does the good news He was often saying that. But when we come to John 12 here, Jesus says something different. It changes. What has been my hour has not yet come now becomes my hour has come. My hour has arrived. And, and so there is a marked change in what's taking place. Now to rightly understand what's going on here, we need to really look at the fullness of chapter 12. We're going to read all of it. We're going to back up today and look at some verses ahead of where we read. But all of chapter 12 is really about this hour. It starts out with the morning of Mary, Jesus, you know, says the morning by Mary, and you know, and Martha's fussing, and uh, the disciples are fussing about, you know, what she's doing, and, and Jesus is like, look, you don't understand what she's doing to me is a good thing. My hour is here. This is the time. Then there is that triumphal entry into Jerusalem. We read that in chapter 12. And uh, certainly that marks his hour having arrived. And then one thing we perhaps miss is there's some special visitors that come to see Jesus during this time of the Passover. Not Jews, but Greeks, Greek proselytes. They, 
those who were converts to the Jewish Judaism faith, they were they had moved from a belief in many gods to now they believe in a monotheistic one God. You remember Acts where we talked about the the Greeks and how that you know they had many gods actually even had a statue where they worshipped the unknown God. I mean, that was kind of their, that was the way they, they thought, you know, that God was in everything and all of these different gods. But these Greeks that come, they realize that, oh, there must be one God and one God only and one God in heaven. And they've been converted into the, the Jewish faith. But they've heard about Jesus. And, and, and the possibility that he could be the promised Messiah. And they request an audience with him. And it's in that conversation, it's in, it's in that context that Jesus says, My soul is now troubled. They get his mind to thinking about the cross. We talked about that last week how, well, sometimes something can break. Someone can bring something to our mind that's kind of troubling, and, and, and these Greeks did that. They reminded him about what was, what was coming, how fast it was coming, and how quick it was going to be. And so we, we get here and we think about this power. Somebody said, Well, what does, you know, Easter have to do with the hour? what God's work says about it. I would say to you that, you know, all of what God has revealed to us speaks to that. Matter of fact, you might not realize it, but Christmas and Easter really tie close together. You might say, well, how are they tie close together? Well, in Luke's gospel, you remember we were told suddenly there was uh, with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God, glorifying God, saying, Glory to God in the highest of earth, peace among those whom He is well pleased. There's that announcement by the angel, glory to God and peace to men. The angels have been sent to make that message crystal clear. Well, now the Son of God has come to creation, and He has come, and it is in this moment that He is going to declare, declare the glory of God, and He is going to provide peace. John Piper says it this way, to make God look great in salvation and to make man glad in God. So when we come to the text, it should be a surprise that we hear Jesus praying for the fulfillment of that promise. The promise that the angels sang about at his birth. The, the promise that's being then revealing itself as he lived out his life and as John reports it, he gives it to us. The fulfillment of that promise given by those angels is our hope. It is our, it is our heart. It's our prayer for that hour. And the hour now comes. Well, I want you to think about it this way this morning. What's the big takeaway that we should get when we think about what Jesus says? Okay, my hour is here. Well, that 
look at what this group of Greeks both said and what happened in verse 20 and read through verse uh, 26. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. And so they came to Philip and who Philip himself uh, had connection to the Greeks. He, he, he actually was born not too far away uh, from where they lived and and uh, who was, we're told, from Bethsaida in Galilee. So there was a connection there. It's perhaps why they went to Philip. And they asked him, and this is, I love, this is one of, I think, the more beautiful phrases in all of the Word of God. Sir, we wish to see you. Isn't that a wonderful thing? You know, when, when folks come into the church and when they come in and worship with us, most of the time that's what their hearts say. We want to see Jesus. We want to see Jesus. We, we've heard about Jesus that we worship. We want to see Him. We want to know Him. And, uh, and, and that's the request. And Philip went and told Andrew. Philip had got one of those outer deacons, a disciple. He, he was that inner circle of, of, of the leaders, but. He goes and gets Andrew and says, Andrew, I've got some Greeks here that want to see Jesus. And, and you think about there's a little hesitancy. There's a lot going on with Jesus. And Jesus has really sort of been kind of hesitant to open up any Gentile ministry. He, he hasn't at some time given up a woman at the well, of course, and, and a few other occasions. But pretty much Jesus' ministry has been towards the Jewish people. And so they understand there's a hesitancy uh, for, for that to ministry to open up. But he goes and gets Andrew, and I, and I love Andrew. Andrew, you know, every time you see Andrew in the Word of God, he's bringing somebody, he's bringing somebody to Jesus. And he's the kind of disciple, I don't know about you, that I want to be. And so Andrew says, well, yeah, let's, 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 go, let's go tell Jesus. And, and so they go to tell Jesus, and Jesus answers them. The hour, and Jesus really just kind of doesn't answer, answer them, answer them. He just kind of begins to, to tell them something. And so it's a little odd. Jesus says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone, but if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he will follow me, and where I am, there my servants be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Rather strange. Here are these ones that, that come, they want to see Jesus. Jesus doesn't really acknowledge them, but sort of gives a cryptic, a cryptic response about his hour. We're asked what's going on, and then after that sort of response, then we find out Jesus is troubled within his spirit. There's a lot of stuff going on in Jesus, a lot of stuff going on around Jesus. It, it, some of it doesn't seem to fit together, but yet the wonderful way. And let God speak. There really is more unity of what God is doing here 
then what you what you do with the connection. So let me give you three big takeaways. From what Jesus is telling the disciples, what Jesus is telling the Greeks, and why he's willing to launch into this litany about why he ought to be lifted, why he's going to be lifted up, suffer and die, and why he's so troubled. And it's all because of his hour has not come. Here's three things. Number one, that hour for Jesus is no longer distant. We pointed out last week that Jesus had a heart's trouble. He was troubled because he knew in a few hours that he would bear the sins of the world. He knew that soon, within a few hours, he would become sin itself. He who had never known sin, never been unholy, would become sin itself. And we said last week, too, he also knew that he would not only suffer, and that, that, was, that was horrible enough, but I, I don't think Jesus recoiled from suffering so much as Jesus recoiled from the idea that he was going to be separated from the Father. Well, there was going to be that moment where Christ would cry out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Throughout all eternity past, forever and forever and forever in the past, they had been one. There had never been a time where God the Father and God the Son were not one. And, and, and I mean, one. I knew I was thinking about that one day. And I, and I got to thinking about a few weeks ago, Miss Wendell and, and Mr. Carroll, you know, we lost Miss Wendell. And they had been married for so long. And their life could be described as a oneness. I mean, you just didn't see one without the other. They were always together. They were always one. And then we visited with Carol a, a, a couple weeks ago. It, it just it was sad. It, we were sort of thankful in a sense that we didn't really realize this one that had passed on. Because for him to have known that, he would have really been grieving apart. Because they were one. We see human relationships like that all the time. And we say how beautiful and, and, and how special and how unique. Listen, you can take all the special, unique, and beautiful relationships that have ever existed in this world, all the great love between people who have been one with one another, and you can multiply that, that, that group and multiply that oneness and multiply that uniqueness. Listen, you can multiply that times a million, a billion, pick a number, and it still wouldn't begin to scratch the surface of what it was to be one between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. There's no way for us to comprehend what Christ was going through in his turmoil about being separated from the Father. So it's in this moment, it's in this moment that his soul is, is troubled. Second Corinthians 521 tells us that God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. Galatians 3.13 tells us this way Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming the curse of the law. Christ had become cursed. Christ was the curse. It, it's incredible. It, it's inconceivable. 
Have you ever dreaded something? You knew it was coming, and then that moment got there. And at that moment, your, your stomach was sick, and you're sick of your stomach. I can remember that. I mean, as a kid, I can remember a few of those. I mean, before card day, I hated before card day. And I don't know why. I got what I deserved, and I got pretty what I expected to get. But I always hoped that it was better than it would be. You know, I, and they would pass out report cards, and, and I'd open up mine, and I'd go, you know, of course, everybody else would ask me, what'd you make, what'd you make, what'd you make? Oh, I didn't make it. But as bad as that was, it wasn't, it wasn't the worst moment. The worst moment was I was going to carry home. Mom and Dad were going to have to sign. That was the moment I read. And I mean, you know, usually every day I couldn't wait for the bus to get home. You know, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. This would be the one day I wanted the bus to just, you know, let's take the detour. Let's take the extended route. Some miles on the bus, not a bad thing. And as closer and closer I get to the house, the sicker I get. And, of course, Mom was always the first to see us. Dad would be coming in a little later, and she'd say, well, you can show it to your dad when you get here. Now I'm like, oh, now I've got to wait. Yeah. And we just get this over with. What does it matter? The hour for Jesus is no longer distant. It is not even a theological, ethereal thought. Something he might do or plan to do or purpose to do. No, it's here. The moment has arrived. You've been in that moment in life. Do you, do you see it? Christ has gone through what you and I go through in life. Experience that moment where we should see and be excited. Life's challenge, isn't it? It has its moments a second thing that this hour says, and I, as I think about it, what he says in his Greek, that hour, this, that this hour for Jesus now loses its distinction. He mentioned, you know, there had been that, my hour's not yet come, my hour's not yet come, and now it is here. But also, and this is a little harder follow, but it's, it's not less as, as important. Jesus also had talked about my hour of suffering, my hour of suffering, and my hour of exaltation. When you read about it, you read about it sometimes as an hour of suffering, sometimes as an hour of exaltation. But all of that now disappears, this distinction. Is it suffering? Is it exaltation? Jesus says, no, it is the hour of his glorification. Verse 22. The answer, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. At a first reading, we think, well, this is a triumphant statement. Jesus is declaring that the, the Greeks are here and they are ready to be glorified. But yet, Jesus follows that up in verse 24 by saying, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. You see, what Jesus speaks of here is, is in the self-same breath, it is the hour 
of his suffering, but is also the author of exaltation. They're not distinct in thought as they once were. They have now become one by way of his suffering and his death. Jesus says that the way to glory is the way of what we call the Via Dolorosa, the way of suffering. Jesus said the way of glory was paved with the road of agony and shame and humiliation. Think about it. In the wilderness, when Jesus went out there and Satan tempted him, he was given the easy way out. He was given the, the bypass for the cross. All you have to do is just sort of kind of flex a knee to me, and, and, and you don't have to suffer. You don't have to die. You can have the kingdoms of this world. Everything you say that's important to you, I'll give you if you'll just, but what? Worship me. Just, just leave me, Jesus. But Jesus refused the easy way. Instead, chose the Father's way. And Jesus then says, My hour has come. My hour has come. Glorify my Son, as the Son glorifies you. It is the hour of glory. It has this kind of resurrection death. Uh, you know, I thought about something this week. What is the cross about? You see, I think we all make this mistake that the cross is about us. We claim the cross, we stand up the cross, and the cross is this. Remember last week we said, you know, really the cross is an ugly thing when we think the belly of Jesus. No one would want a cross around their neck like we do today. But we look at the cross and we make it all about us. Jesus says that the cross isn't about us. Jesus says that the cross is not even about what we so desperately need, and that being salvation. Jesus has said here that the cross is truly about one thing, and that is that God the Father is glorified. That God is given the glory you him. Jesus is saying, even if it costs us the way of suffering, Whatever it takes to give God the glory is what we must do with our lives. Let me ask you this question. What is your number one priority? What do you want most? Is glorifying the Father number one? It was with Jesus. You see, what was distinct, what had kind of been a Jesus thing, and a God thing, the Father thing, now all becomes the Father. The glory. Give glory to Him. What was different is now new. And this is the third thing that the hour shows us. That in the hour, that this hour for Jesus nullifies the limits of salvation. Look at verse 25 and 26. Whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he will follow me. And where I am, there my servants will be also. If anyone serves me, 
the Father's will Two things we have here. We have one, a paradox. You know, something that on the surface just doesn't seem to make sense. It, it, it looks like two opposite things that just doesn't really fit together. And what is that? Well, Jesus says that death is the way to life. If you're really going to live, you've got to die. It doesn't seem to fit. On the surface, it doesn't seem to go together. But think about it. God has illustrated that for us with nature, hasn't he? I mean, you think about that seed. For that seed to produce fruit. For that seed to be glorified, what must that seed do? You must die. You go to the, the, the home depot or, or, or supply factor or co-op or wherever, and you get that little seed pack for your garden or your flower bed. You come home and you put the seed pack in your drawer, I can tell you, unless there's some kind of great miracle that takes place, it ain't going to do anything. But if you take that seed and you put it in the soil there, and, and, and you put it where there's that sun and where there is that water, listen, what will happen? That seed will die, and in that death, it will produce life. That's the way it is with Christ. That's the way it is for us. We must be so committed to Christ that there is no place of self-centeredness, no place of self-concern. We must be willing to die just as Jesus was willing to die. That's the paradox. And the principle is this. If anyone serves me, he must follow me that where I am, my servant will also be. It's a word to the Lord's followers. Every person has to determine which world in which they will serve, which world they will live for. Will you live for this world, or will you live for eternity? Will you live for this moment, or will you live for that forever moment? Will you live for earth, or will you live for heaven? Will you live for yourself, or will you live for the Savior? It's the choice that we must make. It's not only a word for the followers, but it's, it's a word for the Father. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Let me just give this message to you with one great concluding statement. It is possible to have a saved soul and a lost life. That's the Sermon on the Mount. That's what Jesus is telling these Greeks. That's what Jesus is telling his disciples. You've come seeking me. You've come looking to me. And that's what you're going to be doing as Easter approaches. You're going to be going back to the cross, looking to the cross, thinking about what Jesus uh, did for you at the cross. And if you're not careful, you'll make the cross all about you. The cross isn't about you. It's not about us. It's not about the church. It's about the glory be to the Father. Millions have been saved, but many have never served. At the judgment seat of Christ, there will be those who will be honored. John Phillips said it this way, and you know, I mentioned him earlier, but he said something that I wanted to give you. I thought was pretty powerful. He said, there are those there who have died. He said, these are the ones that at, at the 
the judgment seat of Christ, that will be ours. Those who died martyrs yet, those who have forsaken homes and lands, those who have forsaken loved ones and friends, those who have given up homes and business, those who have chosen to serve Him afar off places, those willing to live with the, the godless Christ, those who are translating the Bible into strange tongues, those who strive to bring healing to the sick, those who answer the call to preach the gospel, share the gospel to a lost and dying world, those who are willing to blaze new trails for Jesus, those who plant churches, build hospitals, build orphanages. These are those, he said, that will be honored by the Father. It's possible to be saved and lead a lost life. It's possible to take the blessing of the cross and keep it to yourself. It's a tragedy, but it's possible. You know, timing is critical in every life. Jesus says, my hour, my hour. He was always thinking about the timing of his life. I was not yet, I was not yet, I was not yet, and then there came that day when he said, My life is We ought to live our life in such a way that that we are aware that at any day, at any moment, could be a very special hour. I told you I wasn't a very good student when I wasn't. My folks didn't really go to college. My dad had done just a little bit of college. By the time that I graduated high school, college was a new thing for my family. I didn't know anything about it. I, I took an ACT exam. I had no clue why I was supposed to take it. Mom just said, go to, go to Lambeth and take it. Why not? I didn't realize you had to have to do it in college. I took college classes in high school. The, the guidance counselor said, I actually needed to be in the shop class. This college wasn't for me. But I'll be honest with you, I didn't want to go to shop class because there weren't any pretty girls in there. Three. I wouldn't be able to go back to the mountain. College was, I don't know. I didn't really know. Didn't really have the guidance. It just was the way. My family was. I didn't, I didn't have a plan. Graduation was, was, was coming. I was getting ready to graduate, and actually, I had already graduated. I found myself one Sunday morning, First Baptist Church of Jackson, sitting in the bathroom, sitting there with the preacher's son, Cam and I, we were sitting there, and, and freshmen from Union University who had come and moved in and were moving in and getting settled, they, they had come to church that morning. And there was like 300 and something, all in one section. And I'll never forget Ken's dad, Dr. Brody, talking about, man, was well, looking proud. And he said, if you ever wanted to go to school somewhere, Union would be it because there were six girls in every guy. I registered at Union Monday. I knew the only guy in the Union because uh, we happened to know uh, was the doctor there, Terry Griffin, who uh, was a family friend at uh, Union. Uh, he was a new pastor at West Jackson when I was growing up, and we did a lot of stuff with him. And, and uh, he said, well, I'm getting in on probation, so I took my ACT score wasn't good, and, 
And so Judy was kind of one of those deals where uh, they were kind of waiting to see how I did. And I did pretty good that first semester. I barely got through it, all right? But I, I almost didn't go to college because had I missed that study at first class of Jackson, I would have never gotten there. So at Union University, that second semester, I took PE. I took PE because, because the first semester required I take something easy. So PE was a natural choice. I thought I could do that. I really was not a college student at all. And uh, so I'm in my PE class the first uh First week or so, I'm there, and it's right off of the student center, and it's right there at the gym. And there's this really good-looking girl working in the, in, in the student center. I went to PU every day, not because I wanted to try out for the grade, but because she was there. I'm married up here. Mama said that she wishes she had married me off in sixth grade. My grades got so much better when I got married. They did all of a sudden I was a better student. Walking down the hall, leaving going to one of my business classes. I get taught by John Adams. But John finished Christian school. But John was always in and out of first heaven. He played some time somewhere. I was in the youth group with Tracy. Tracy was two years younger than us. And uh, he said, Chris, I need a preacher for one of my student revivals. I got a pianist, I got a song director, uh, and a youth director, but I don't have a pianist. I mean, I was a preacher. Well, John, I'm not a preacher. I'm a business director. I'm a business director. I heard you speak at church. I was getting some money. I didn't just go and talk about Jesus. That Jesus on God. But the story behind that came down. And I found out a few years ago when I was in revival, Brother John. That that hundred dollars was supposed to go to the missions of Jesus, not to him. He was never going to anybody. I didn't pay him. Thank you, Lord. But I said, "Sure, it's fine." I took this outline. I said, "I'm in the middle, uh, middle bird Baptist church and preached." Later, I'm in Brother John's office. I'm like, Brother John, God was speaking to me. I want to do some more preaching. Next semester, I took my first preaching class to Dr. Adams. When I look at my life, what I'm telling you is I look back and I see moments in life, special moments where my life could have been different. 
God got me where God used what what thoughts I had and, and, and what problems I had. I don't even need to think about it. But God didn't want to work on his heart with refrigerators and other things. That wasn't his purpose for my life to be in And so God used pretty good to get to the truth. God knew that I was a horrible student, but he gave me a smart, wise, wonderful, patient wife that turned me into a graduate or a master's student. But God knew that there was a congregation that I was just a pastor. His glory, for His honor and love. But they were. Well, I can hall, but the right man who was the interim pastor before I came here, who was responsible to call me and say, send him your resume, I want you to come here. God knew that I could move into with a hot bed to be your pastor. Folks, I'm not asking you this morning. To do something that I myself don't try to do every day of my life. And that is to die to myself and to live to Christ. To the glory of the Father. It's the only way of living. That's how Jesus lived. And if you're going to know life, real life, that's the only way. Heavenly Father, surrender to death and, and surrender to self and say, no more, no more, not me. Your way is not an easy thing. And God, we, we, we sometimes get it all messed up. And even in, in our imperfection, and even in our weaknesses, and even in our foolishness, God, you are so great. Your hand is so mighty. And what we can't see or imagine or could do, God, you do to your glory. Lord, we get so caught up in what we are able to do, our ability. We argue so much of what you want us to do away. We say, well, Lord, I'm not a speaker. I'm not this, I'm not that. Lord, what you ask is this, that we would serve the kingdom and trust you in your mind. There are times when we go through the battle. There are times where, Lord, we, we will suffer and we will be in turmoil. But we take heart because you are there first. And you are there most. But on that day, Lord, when we stand before you and the same voice that rang out of heaven and said, I have glorified you, will say to us, you received your honor. Well, that's my good and 
a little bit of a More God, let us go through life where we just will be saved, but we will live a life for Him. Let us not only be saved, but we will live a saved life. Completely, totally surrendered to Him. We pray God's blessings upon you as you worship with us today. If God has led you to make a decision today for Jesus, we would love to hear about it. We invite you to come to our website, cometothecross.net. Our online decision card will allow you to tell us about the decision that you're making. All decisions, all contacts are kept private and are confidential. However, we would be able to pray for you and perhaps I'd even be able to call you and pray with you about what God has led you to do if you so desire. So fill out the form, let us know, and just know that we love you and God loves you and we're excited that you're taking this first step for God today. Thank you.